Hello and welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of July 31st, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, and before we get started today, I have a favor to ask all of you. If you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Rating and reviewing the show is the easiest way to get Tips and Tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. Thank you in advance, and I'm very excited for what the future holds for us here at Ski Racing Media. All right, now that we've covered that, on today's show, we head back up to the Great White North as Canadian podcast intern Patrick Carey sits down and talks with a pair of rising young Canadian ski team talents, Simone Fournier and Sam Mulligan. Fournier and Mulligan had some pretty breakthrough seasons last year, with Simone breaking through first on the Noram circuit before making his first world championship team last February in Ore, Sweden, and Sam becoming more and more comfortable on the World Cup speed circuit, earning starts in Lake Louise, Beaver Creek, and Kvitfjell. Sam and Simone talk about the necessary dedication to fitness on the national team and the challenges of preparing for the demands of World Cup hills in the offseason. Sam also shares the story of his first career World Cup race in Kitzbühel, and Simone addresses the controversy surrounding a Noriam slalom win of his where he was later revealed to have straddled a gate and the fallout surrounding that situation on social media. How many of you have straddled a slalom gate in the heat of a race and not realized it? Before we get on to all of that, I would like to take just a little more time to highlight some of the recent pieces published on SkiRacing.com. Our editorial intern, Caitlin Blinkhorn, published her second On the Way Up junior profile, this time featuring young Vail, Colorado native Kirsty Moritz. Kirsty keeps herself pretty busy year-round between her budding ski racing career and high-level soccer. Fun fact about the Moritz family, Kirsty and her twin sister Liv actually started their on-snow competitive careers as freestyle athletes before transitioning to life as racers a few years ago. U.S. Ski and Snowboard recently made public a study on the effectiveness of the organization, and staff writer Mackenzie Moran took a look at the findings that revealed that the NGB has a bit of work ahead of them if they want to live up to their mantra of best in the world. Mac did an amazing job on this piece, and you'd be missing out if you didn't give it a read. Contributor Monica Hubner also compared the career paths to becoming a ski coach in the United States and Europe. Mani is a native of Garmisch-Partenkirchen, Germany, and takes a look at what is required of elite-level coaches around the world and discovers that in many countries, truly world-class coaches are actually in pretty short supply. Last but not least, Julie Glusker tackles an emotion ski racers are all too familiar with head-on. Disappointment. Whether stemming from not living up to expectations to injuries, it's inevitable that all ski racers will be disappointed at some point in their careers, and Julie lays out a framework for working through those emotions as an athlete or a parent of an athlete. To read all of those stories and much, much more, head on over to SkiRacing.com. Coming up after a quick break will be Patrick's interview with the Canadian ski team Simone Fournier and Sam Mulligan. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. 
Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. Welcome back to Tips and Tales. My name is Patrick Carey. I'm a student athlete at Montana State University, and this summer I've been sitting down with some athletes from the Canadian National Ski Team to share their stories with you. If you haven't checked out my episode with Broderick Thompson from a few weeks back, be sure to give it a listen. Joining us today, we have from Montreal, Quebec, and the Mount Tremblant Ski Club, a guy who had a massive season last year, posting two top 30s in the World Championships and winning the overall slalom NORAM Cup title. A University of Denver and Alpine Canada athlete, Simon Fournier. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pat, for having us. Yeah, you bet, buddy. Also joining us, hailing from Vancouver, British Columbia, and the Grouse Mountain Ski Club, one of the most promising young talents that Canada has, world junior medalist, and my ex-teammate and good friend, Sam Mulligan. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us down in the studio. Absolutely, boys. And so you guys are joining us in beautiful Calgary out for some training. How's it been so far? Uh, Pretty good for me. I showed up last week. It's been raining a little bit, but being in the gym is pretty good, like changing from the school scenery a little bit and getting back to the basics of training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for you, Sam, it's been a few weeks now. Yeah, I guess I'm just over a month here now. And I don't know, it's always fun coming here because the focus is just kind of getting your body and everything as good as it can be. And in Calgary here, we have all the resources from, you know, physio to nutrition, mental, and it's all kind of in one spot. So when you're here, it feels like you can do kind of whatever you want as far as training goes. And Mm -hmm. I take a lot of confidence into that when it comes to going back on snow, knowing that we've put everything we can into this. Yeah. And nice to rejoin the team and get the all the boys together in there. I know you guys are a little scattered right now, but yeah, people come in and out, but yeah, it's cool. Also like girls and guys who we don't always see during the season, you know, in the summer, everyone's together and it's yeah. a cool environment yeah. doing the group activities and stuff really keeps everything positive and fun. Yeah. You guys do some fun stuff. You're in the Valdrome sometimes a sure. couple boxing classes, biking a bunch. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. The mountain biking is such a, such a good th- summer thing. It seems like everyone who's, I don't know, successful in this sport is, pretty good mountain biker as well and uh, i don't know you guys are big bikers correct yeah i mean i haven't been able to a whole lot this summer um just with back issues that i had and i've been didn't bring the bike out here which i'm regretting now as i'm getting healthier but yeah (laughs) yeah in the summer that's kind of pretty much everyone's favorite thing to do and another one that's such a social thing that you know current ski racers or past ski racers and everyone can get together for a ride and Mm -hmm. have a good time together and not only it's, it's obviously super good for the legs and cardio, but like seeing all the different lines and all that part, and it's coming at you so fast. I feel like that's a sweet like off season kind of thing that transitions very well. I think the adrenaline too is a key thing. Just yeah. going fast on a downhill and stuff, and bumping off jumps and stuff is kind of similar to ski racing a little bit in a sense. Yeah, for sure. And have you have you biked your whole life? There's not um, as much of a scene in Quebec. Yeah, is I there? mean it's a little bit more cross country out east, but definitely starting riding with those West Coast guys was. A little bit eye-opening yeah. going to Whistler for some summers and riding a little bit gnarlier terrain and here in Calgary too is a little bit more gnarly but definitely it's definitely more fun than the whole cross country or what I'm used to out east mm-hmm. and so you guys were both recently named to the B team congrats 
Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you also heard, but I'm actually the new intern at Alpine Canada, but uh, the press release hasn't been out for that yet. So Big congratulations <laughs> on that. We're happy to have you. Yeah. Real happy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, boys. Uh, let's go, Simon, a little bit into your season. I mean, as I touched on briefly in the intro, it can only be said it was a pretty breakthrough year for you. Yeah. Like, looking at your fist profile in uh, 2017-18, you started with 23 slalom, 26 GS, and now you ended this season off with 6.8 and 9. Yeah. Um, I mean, year. obviously, that's, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, uh, at Most the end improved. of the season, barely making criteria last year. And then kind of luckily got put onto the World Cup tech team with Trevor and Eric Reed, And that was really high-opening for me, just that little bit of extra confidence I had from training with them and knowing actually how the speed was key. And then showed up to Norams. I got a little bit of World Cup exposure in Levy. Then showing up in Norams and just knowing I had the speed to actually be on like the top box or the top step, that was a big game-changer. And then got named to the World Champ team, which also... like wasn't really in my plan for the year but yeah definitely a sweet surprise and then going there and being 24th and 30 was definitely super cool like new experience first time at world champs and stuff like did world juniors a bunch but i guess the world champs is kind of a little bit of a bigger step yeah but uh, no great experience this year definitely benefited a lot from having older teammates and it's kind of a, a giving giving situation like i come up with a little bit more energy i'd say and a little bit fresher blood and these guys are still giving me the experience that they have and helping me through that so they were really amazing with them that's really cool and i it's just wild to think last year panorama spring series just talking to you and you're yeah, like you were well there. i'm not sure like if i'm gonna be named to the team exactly but and then you just had two unreal slalom days and then boom you get put with that group and it's just like you're off to the races think all, is, it's so cool to see yeah for sure but also um started school this year um, at the end of the season in 2017 or 2018, I wasn't really sure, like we talked about, I wasn't sure what my future was going to be. So mm. decided to start, um, applying for schools in the States and ended up at Denver this year, which was a pretty, pretty good experience trying to like manage the NCAA races, the world cup stuff. And I think for me in the past, I was, I was really focused on, on my head a little bit and a little bit of a nutcase, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helped me put the stress of racing away, knowing that I kind of have a plan B to rely on and knowing that I was on a path where I didn't 100% have to succeed on a World Cup level or on the Noram level was, I think it really helped me too. It just took it, like put everything into perspective kind of where yeah. school is a little bit more important now. And once your day of skiing is over, then you're thinking about school a little bit more, which kind of helps to just let go of the steam if you have a bad day yeah. or just think about Maybe something it's else pressure and i mean you know, you know exactly you, what i'm talking about you know you have a Montana. place to be for four years which is a huge part of it exactly yeah probably have to get this guy on the program <laughs> Can we get a verbal uh, verbal commitment to montana <laughs> state <laughs> no comment du we're going to du next year so. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, your part though simon also i think it was cool from i mean me having ski with you for years and seeing you sort of transition and I don't know for, for on my side, you know, it's something that you're not. I mean, a lot of people you knew he had it like, all along. Who, who's Simon? Like, why is he? Why is he training with the World Cup team? He's not that good. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that a bunch. Yeah, no, but <laughs> not my words. But you know, people. Well, fair enough. Questions. I think we're we're thinking sure. that maybe. Yeah. But I mean, from my perspective, we saw sort of your speed and always being technically a really good skier, and then 
it was cool to see you put in an environment. I think in a way your program, it got very simple. Like at the end of the year at spring series, you knew you had to win basically to survive with the team and you were able to kind of stay focused on that. And then through the summer, just to see, you know, going after a plan saying, okay, I'm going to focus on slalom where you'd been sort of scattered a bit lost maybe. Yeah. And it was cool to see, you know, I'm going to school. I have that as a constant. I'm going to train lots of slums, have that as a constant and then have just very clear goals. It seemed like. So when the season came around, you weren't doubting where you needed to be or where you were trying to go and just seeing you check it off. It just, it made sense, but you know, it doesn't always happen like that for everyone. And it was cool. Like on my side to see someone, you know, just have goals and just go after them with confidence. Yeah, for sure. Coming from doing every discipline, definitely narrowing it down. Turning 21 was pretty helpful to have just a little bit more of a straighter focus. Like you said in the past, just when you're doing every single discipline, it's a little bit hard to kind of have a feeling on every single one of them and be consistent in results. But yeah, definitely like kind of the back against the wall situation in Panama Spring Series there was was hard. Like making sure I was keeping myself dialed at the end of the season, mid mid spring or mid April and yeah, I mean it paid off kind of. Yeah. Had a good season afterwards. But yeah. <laughs> um I'm gonna throw Sam under the bus a little bit here, but come on he now. told me when you came on to the team that you maybe weren't the fittest guy. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> the standards. <No>. Insights. <laughs> um does, is that true? I, I stand by that, actually. I think it's 100% true. And, yeah, how much of a difference did that make? But the rest of my comment was no. pro- <laughs> yeah, <go ahead. laughs> would probably have been that he came in and worked as hard or harder than anyone. But we can talk, yeah, we can yeah, talk about the coming like, in situation uh, for sure. Like, You know, I think you can attest to, you know, with the, the BC provincial team, we were pretty lucky to have coaches that, you know, had been around a national environment or tried to mirror, I guess, mm-hmm what the training looked like at the national level yeah. and uh i guess having more of an alumni support system we i guess on my end i knew kind of what i was getting into a bit more yeah, where whereas I didn't know you know simon yeah. was driving across the country eating at boston pizza every night and then <laughs> no come on like, oh, come basically on. Yeah, and then no, I mean, just ripping the diet <laughs> no no <laughs> this is like a backhanded compliment coming in yeah i know th- um, i mean that's where i was going with yeah, it and yeah. i was just gonna say Kind of how much of that success do you attribute? No, all I'm saying to like is he, he, came, increases. <laughs> he came in here and then understood, I guess, where his gaps were. And then, you know, was a sponge trying to trying to learn, you know, the ways to move and how to work. And there was never any complaining. And I think you can see, you know, when he came, where he came in and then the last three, four years, how it's progressed. And, you know, now he's it's very professional. I think your fitness is nobody's questioning it yeah. at all. Well, I and I mean, you turn that around quickly, but you just didn't know necessarily any better still is a work in progress but not to throw shade on like the quebec team and what i grew up through definitely it was an eye-opener to come to calgary for my first summer Mm -hmm. now four years later i'm a big fan of centralization (laughs) and i'm all about it training with your teammates and i mean i've benefited so much from having sam pushing me because you guys probably don't see it but sam is an amazing athlete freak freak some would say pretty natural and everything he, t- he touches so for me it was amazing to see someone that like had so much raw force and power and cardio and being able to train with him and actually live with him for a couple summers was super beneficial and yeah well definitely like from that provincial system the bc kids i think well i mean the whole bc team does an amazing job to i think it nick nick cooper 
does a great <laughs> job coming out of like because he, he he was with the Canadian team for a couple of years yeah. and knowing <clears throat> what level yeah <laughs> knowing what level of fitness you had to be to be competitive is a big thing and I think maybe on the Quebec team we were focusing a little bit more on the skiing than maybe the level of fitness so that was that was big for me when I came to Calgary and definitely had a hard first summer or hard yeah. first part of the first summer. And now it's still a work in progress of getting better. It's always a work in progress because, you know, sure. now never, you, never yeah, stops. you see the World Cup level and these guys are freaks. And yeah, it's a full-time job to take care of your body to be at that level. And that's where we're working towards. And yeah. that almost segues me a bit into one of my questions. And I don't know, you guys have both dipped your toes in the World Cup a little bit. And just what do you see is the big gap to get to that next level. Cause I know the tracks are longer generally snows tougher. And I was talking to Phil Brown about this earlier in the year. He's like, we have such a hard time emulating that kind of training environment. Like we're trying everything, like trying to do jumping jacks in the start to get the heart rate up just so we can kind of try and get something similar to that last 30 seconds of a tech race where it's, I don't know, bumpy and icy and you're trying to push from outside the 30. I think, I think tech and speed are really different different like the venues are super different also the the disciplines are really different but for tech i mean we've, we're starting to see a little bit more of high 50s slalom course i mean a minute 20 gs is so extremely demanding physically it's definitely hard throughout the summer to find those training slopes that are that mm -hmm. long and have that surface but i know our coaches are are busting themselves to try to find the right opportunities for us to, to get the good environments like that. But it's definitely really hard. Like usually the, I mean, for me, my first World Cup last year was Levy and definitely kind of an eye opening uh, opener in the terms of length of surface of field too. Cause I mean, everyone's in a really good shape and everyone's a really yeah. good skier and everyone pushes to get into that top 30 for that second run. So it's really, for me, it really comes down to who's more ready mentally, but yeah, and I think skiing's it's always a funny thing like uh everyone tries to be ski specific a little bit in the summertime in the gym. But it's one of those only sports I think where no matter who you are, I feel like when you go back on snow and train, you're you're juiced after the first day and you're like yeah. how like how is this possible cuz I've been training trying to simulate skiing or trying to, I'm as strong as I can be, but like the ski specific movement on snow is so unique. Um and then I think as far as when it comes to competition season, definitely on the speed side, like the, the tracks are so, so much longer than anything you'd have a chance to train and the snow conditions are harder and everything about it is <clears throat> just harder, I guess, than what you would train. And I think I've had a bit of experience and I can't really speak to how, how to adapt to it. Cause I haven't quite broken through mm -hmm. yet. So yeah. maybe when I start getting some results, I'll tell you how, <laughs> how it know. was, but I think, a lot of people, I remember like Manny always says, you know, hey, like it's it's not that hard. Just go a bit faster and you'll be on the World Cup full time and it's fun and it gets easy. And I think he's one of the strongest mentally yeah. um, out there. But there's probably some truth to that. I think when you see in the summertime when you're training alongside, like say Simon, you with Trevor or I've had a chance to be with Manny and Eric and on kind of a generic training environment, the skill level is not that far off and you know you'll yeah. you'll win runs and you'll mm -hmm. say oh i'm i'm on fire like i'm i'm in there with eric and like i'll be i'll be good but there's a huge difference between the training environment and the race environment as far as experience and mentally 
Um, yeah. So I think I'd like to think that our our ski skills aren't that far off having success at the World Cup level, but I think it just comes with trying to wrap your head around having that success at that level mentally and then uh, just learning different skill set a bit like on the speed side where to where to slide or where to take risk because you know it's a, it's a lot more sliding even than you realize like say in a downhill track and yeah minimizing uh big mistakes because then you're way out the back so also jumps and speed is a massive thing i know i remember for me doing downhill i just wasn't that good in the air at all or absorbing and for you guys flying 60 70 meters now on some of those world cup track is crazy but yeah and it's something you don't get even close to in the in the off season so i think mm-hmm. the people who can you know look at video and kind of solve the pieces to the puzzle quickly when it comes to like a speed week somewhere um that experience comes with time and then i think we're on our way i'd like to think we're doing the right things and you know it seems like with people at a certain point it just clicks and then you'll say oh well it wasn't that hard i don't know why it took me so long to figure it out yeah and one of the one of the points I was trying to get to, maybe it didn't come across across fully clearly, was like it looks like when you watch Hersher in the last thirty seconds of a GS, he's got another level of gas. And yeah. I know that kind of raises the question of what are these guys doing in the summer? Like, is, is do you guys think doping is a problem? Maybe in in like some of the European countries, it just looks wild to watch because everyone's putting a full summer of work in, and everyone's trying to find out the best way to do it. It's almost just like how how can a couple <laughs> handful of guys look that different? Yeah, maybe uh, I mean maybe I'm just like a naive, but I think people like to, you know, if they're getting beat, they're like, oh, that guy's definitely doping. He's so strong, like there's no way anyone could be like that. And I don't know. I would like to think that the guys at the top have earned their way, and I think they deserve a bit more respect than just saying, oh, that guy's probably winning because he was mm-hmm. doping. And I I imagine those guys put in a ton of work i mean everyone works hard but i think those guys definitely have a huge huge capacity um in fitness and then also just mentally really wanting to win And i think it, that's what it comes down to at the end like how badly do you want to pull a line like at the bottom of kitzbühel or something and that's partly fitness but i think most of the guys on the tour probably have the legs for that but do they have the the balls to actually do it when it comes down to it and yeah. pull it off so i think those guys are just finally tuned at pushing themselves pushing so and it's they, more they practice i think they practice think. pushing themselves yeah and they get comfortable pushing the limits that's cool Simon, any thoughts I, on that i mean i have to agree with sam i feel like doping is an easy excuse for us to be like oh well i can barely do top 30s and the top guys are doping mm-hmm. and it's an easy like circle to get into i think and pretty bad for yourself to think that because you're yeah. thinking that you're never going to make it because the top guys are doping and so i have to dope so <laughs> it's like just work harder yeah i don't <laughs> yeah. think i don't think that's a thing but i mean seeing this year a little bit of the ncaa circuit the nordic side and seeing how some of these athletes go so hard in the cave for an mm-hmm. hour and 30 minutes yeah <laughs> kind of makes you realize that i think there's different level of how hard you can you're willing to how hard you're really goes down to how hard you're willing to push yourself yeah. And definitely, like, for example, this year at World Champs in Slalom, first run, Ursher was winning by two seconds or something. And everyone skied well. Everyone looked pretty fast. Yeah. But two seconds on a minute. (laughs) It's crazy. Insane. But I think he's just extremely dialed with his equipment. He's extremely dialed on his fitness. He's extremely dialed with his technique. And 
he's he knows how to push he knows when to push how to push and how much he needs to push too i think yeah and that's that goes back to the experience having like being in training fast and having the speed for world cup level racing but then it just goes down to the confidence and the experience to actually execute that and know yourself well enough to put yourself in that position i think gotcha yeah good answers so we're gonna change gears a little bit here um i got a little game for us it's <laughs> guess your career finish percentage Ooh. over your whole career <laughs> winner is going back winner to gets like a prize a k1 or fist fist career so actually, I'll I'll tell you what. So I my guess Do was. We, are we over under fifty percent or? Uh, I can't tell you that. Yeah, my my guess that. for myself was sixty seven percent. Okay. And then under for sure. Don't, no, no. So let's let's it. hear the guesses. What did, does uh, did not qualify? What does that count as? Uh no, we I didn't count those because that's still a start. It was just you finish slowly. <laughs> that's still a finish, yeah. So, okay. but you only so it's just DNFs over or starts basically i think i'm higher than 67 you said i think i'm might be around 80 plus percent finish give me something exact you had some consistently slow phases i feel like yeah yeah for sure finishing more than you wanted to probably (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay let's say 85 percent wow no (laughs) um and sam man i'm you're wild card all of this you were a wild Fist card, young. Keep in yeah. mind, you're a big speed guy, getting those easy finishes. Yeah, that's, not yeah, like that's I mean, true. It's hard to miss gate. Those first year fists. I racked a few DNFs. Um, man, I'd like to know Houston Phillips uh, <laughs> <laughs> percentages. Um, well, he's not here. I'll so say. I'll say. Let's get to the point. I'll say sixty-two. Wow, guy lowballs himself. Okay, actual ah. results. So my guess, sixty-seven. My real was sixty-nine. Oh, <laughs> you would not bad. But also, <laughs> Simon. 85 percent you guys yeah. your actual was 83 Ooh. so we tie for the prize which is yet to be determined sam you said what did you say i said 62 way off you were 79 wow that's, not bad. that's not bad actually more consistent than i thought i guess yeah. that goes to show you know sometimes you put yourself in these dark mental holes but yeah. maybe it hasn't been as bad as i it's thought not, it was not too bad <laughs> and then just going because i was curious so i did a little digger deeping on the fist and the digger xl deeping. uh for slalom you, I was 59, 10% decrease. Right. Not great. You were 68. In slalom. Yeah. Slalom. Wow. That's pretty good. That's and good. Simon, 77. Oof. Impressive. Yeah. A lot of slow years. <laughs> I, that's one way to put it. But then this is what I thought was going to be interesting to compare it. I did also Henrik and Marcel. Mm-hmm. And so Henrik is 95% career. <laughs> slalom finish. Every, everything. Everything. 93 in slalom. Wow. And then... Hersher was 90 overall and 83 in slalom, but it's just kind of like cool to think that, I don't know, those guys are building so much consistency and that's part of it. And you're saying, oh, I had some slow years, but maybe it's just you're building the right patterning and now it's kind of paying off. Yeah. Yeah. That can be true for sure. I mean, like in the summer last year, we changed a lot of the way we train. We got a new head coach, Tuzlan Grasic, and just going for volume, 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 and just getting dialed with those patterns those small movements that are just becoming basic mechanics now and you don't have to think about it and mm-hmm. it just goes because slalom is such a sport it's such a specific discipline you, you you could only train slalom and only ski slalom and never train other disciplines because it's so specific yeah. but yeah and pat i'd like to know your super g uh, finish rate because i've seen some soft <laughs> soft abandons i know you're retired from super That's g now tough. but um i'd say i'd say it's probably around the average maybe 
Yeah, who knows? I think <laughs> I give myself a 65. Average oh, probably. Best. There super hasn't G? been a lot of Super Gs in yeah. my day. So, uh, actually, I want to talk to you about a little Super G, your World Cup debut in Kitzbühel. Uh, give me give me your thoughts on that, because I remember watching it, and it was quite something from what I remember. <laughs> yeah, that, that was quite a day, man. <clears throat> I think, well, leading up to that, I was... It was a bit last minute knowing, I mean, I'd been skiing well in Super G kind of all throughout that fall, I guess. And then uh, Eric had hurt his back, so he was out for the season. And then I kind of got a spot in, I guess, sort of last minute and because we, we were over there anyways. And then uh, the weather was just terrible. Mm-hmm. So then they, they <laughs> moved the start up to like the upper section, which I don't think they had ever done in Super G. So it made it was a super weird course because you basically had mouse fall and stall hang and all that, that gnarly stuff, and then you're skiing super G on the cat track and you're just going straight. Yeah, that's what um, we skied on Europa Cups though. Which yeah, we did Europa Cup cool downhill the year before, which probably saved me, I bet, because or else that would have been I didn't do any training runs in downhill or all um, at Kitzbühel that year, so that was my first kind of run on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so having been down the mouse fall and inspected it before was really nice. I was grateful for that when I got thrown into the top part of the course yeah, morning yeah. of, um, I remember it was funny cause you know, I was not necessarily nervous, but you know, jitters for your first world cup race. And then, um, you have all these world cup vets who are scrambling. Like they're a bit uneasy knowing that the, the course got moved up. They're like, Oh no, it's going to be so much scarier now. And I was already kind of like, Oh, well this is, Kids feel like people are saying, "Oh, the, the normal super G is pretty easy. Don't worry about it." Yeah, um, I think you're allowed to say you were nervous, though. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, like, well, you don't need to. Be I was, no, I was, no, I was gonna. Us. I was gonna get to this. I think I would almost have been more nervous if it wasn't Kitzbühel, because I don't know if anyone has ever been on top of something super, like super scary. Maybe um, you almost you don't have time to be scared because it. I don't know. It feels very real. You just I gotta th- get you, in it. It feels really real. So you, yeah if you waste your energy being scared, it's kind of like, you know, you know, you're going out of the start gate and you just have to make sure you're dialed because you know, there's risks if, if you're scared and you're it's not focused on. So I feel like not everyone has that, but I, that's a smart I think I was, to, I was probably about it. nervous, but it was a different type of nervous. You had to, it gets channeled a different way in situations like that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I was pretty wired. And, uh, I remember actually my serviceman, <laughs> Alex Fazal was the, he was visibly nervous um, for me, for everyone. He he does such a good job on the skis and everything, but um, he's had issues with bindings before. And he's been unlucky with but, bindings. But sometimes I'd it's a little say. finicky. And he had actually brought a full set of bindings in his backpack to the start gate, just in case anything went wrong. That's so he, so he had a heavy backpack with the bindings, and he was checking my dins, making sure everything was perfect. <laughs> I think it was it's his first World Cup too. It was his first World Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we're Shared in this experience. together, just a yeah. couple noobs up there, and uh, <laughs> top of the yeah. Weather calm. was terrible, and you, there's a screen up there, and there's just course hold after course hold. You know, they say gate repair, gate repair, and you know, <laughs> really the gates. That's the gates that are coming out, and yeah. it, was, it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> like people, Islam, guys, we shouldn't be having gate repairs. Yeah, as much. people were spilling a bit. <laughs> they call it gate repair. You hear the chopper coming in. Yeah, and I, I was excited, and it was a really cool moment for me to have my first race be there. And I just remember Johnny said, you know course it was pretty fall line um like steep but fall line and he's saying oh yeah like you gotta push it down here like come off mouse fall try to carry as much speed and, you know i took that too literally and i wouldn't went so straight kind of 
that's my is this i so i, I, I sh- fall back to going straight you know when it comes to pushing mm-hmm. it i would say generally so i just came drilling into this compression right and it I think I have a picture of it right here because I, I just remember you just so far Whoa. back, yeah. so scrambled. And I was like, that is some vintage Yeah, so I came down there. You know you know when you are like have that adrenaline too Whoa. and your legs kind of feel a bit jelly like before you're even out of the gate? Yeah. You, you think you're already tired. And yeah, I just came down nuking into the compression. And I mean, my race was over three turns in, but <laughs> <laughs> I was just happy I didn't go flying into the net at that point. And, you know, yeah. I made it down. I was probably super slow, but hey. I was I was happy First to make it down. I think everyone was happy that I was just down in one piece and yeah. Yeah. And Simon, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Madonna this year. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely flying second on the top split there. Yeah, Is that second. right? That's that's gotta be good for the confidence. Yeah, that was I was kinda surprised actually, <laughs> but we got lucky this year on the circuit. The snow was amazing for a lot of the venues and I was starting seventy six and people were punching in from back deep. It was insane. I think the lighting was not that great for the first couple of guys, so it kind of mm. like it, it got dark for when the bad guys were go- were going. The snow was amazing, and I just I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm in Europe. That was right after the Noram races in Pano, and might as well give it my best because why not? And then did two splits, ended up being second on the first split, incredibly fast. Yeah, and then kind of kind of blacked out a little bit it was my first time that madonna the amount of people that are there and the energy was insane there's speakers that are on the hill it's pretty much it's pretty much 10 meters wide of nets yeah and then just people and speakers and it was it's a really cool atmosphere but it was definitely something i needed to i've never been in a position like that or in a situation where there was that much people and that much noise and energy so I kind of blacked out, and then at one point I was breaking over the pitch into a pin, and then I was out of the course. That's <laughs> uh, so the way, way the yeah. cookie crumbles and slumps. I, I gotta say, if you're not blacking out during your race, you're not doing it right. Like I, I think everyone. I don't you think know, so though. But. I don't know. I feel like I'm coming down all the time, or you know, you talk to people at the finish, and then minutes after, you just remember like, oh, I, I really, I, I was bad in that section, or people like people remember things like minutes hours after the runner they watch video after yeah. like oh i forgot i totally it's a little bit that. more for speed though when you have a two minute 30 downhill yeah. track like definitely that's more get to the bottom you're, like, you're more inclined to miss what just happened yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I'm, I'm with you been there uh sam i want to ask you a little bit more about your your world juniors experiences so in 2017 you were fourth by in the super g by 100th does that sound correct maybe maybe so. one or two hundredths off the podium yeah, I think it was like four four hundred to total, fourth. Yeah. I think it was one hundred. I looked it up. Okay, I was just testing. Well, why are you asking me? That? <laughs> <laughs> just a little mental sharpness quiz. My two um, medals, and then a little redemption. Second in twenty eighteen <clears throat> by two hundredths. So also a bit of that one was bitter, two, that was two hundredths. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But first, I was I was one one hundredth ahead of the guy in third, so I was like a bit of karma yeah, some as well. Tight so, races. Yeah. What's going on? Is that there? tight in Davos? It's super tight. Oh. Uh well, so just tell me. A little bit, I don't know, the wooden spoon in 2017. And coming back, it must have felt pretty good. But I I know you, and I'm sure you were a little – you would have wanted to win there. Yeah. I think – well, first of all, in uh, Ore, when I was fourth, I was – I guess that was my first World Juniors. And I wasn't necessarily expecting – I mean, I knew I could be fast, but I wasn't expecting, you know, to be in a metal position maybe. Yeah. So – to be that close was exciting and i think as a competitive person you can appreciate when something is that tight like i think it was maybe 
1500s to 10th or something in that race. So then you're thinking, oh, I could have done something so minor and won, or I could have done something so minor and been 10th or 15th and disappointed. So I think I was happy being where I was. Um, Definitely bittersweet to not get a medal. And uh, yeah, that was tough. But I think also it was a huge motivation because throughout the rest of the year um, and then into the off season, you know, it makes you hungry to win when you're that close and yeah. you can feel how close you are. So then you start sort of um, seeing blood, I guess, and then attacking a bit more. Um, so I think the next year when I went to Davos, then I was expecting that I should be winning or getting a medal. And I think our whole team was really strong that year. So we knew that we needed to get something done. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a two run downhill and it was so tight training runs and the race runs everything there was no room for error and uh i was just really happy with the way i was able to kind of put two runs down consistently and then it was nice when i was i think it was third after the first run and i came down with the green light so i knew i was going to at least get a medal mm-hmm. and then uh to watch uh, marco come down just a hundredth ahead <laughs> and then he went on to have his storybook world yeah. juniors where he won everything he yeah, raced in of course um, I was, I was super happy to get a medal. Um, I don't think I've ever beat Marco though in my career. I think I, I lost him. At Not Worcester. yet. I, I lost him at Worcester cup. Was he there? He was at Worcester cup world oh. juniors. I think are still, you a Worcester cup medalist or I winner? I was a winner. Oh, well, that's a legend. But I don't think he was yeah. there that year. But anyways, a, a part of me, I wish I could have been a couple hundreds faster to maybe spoil that run for him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he's a super good dude as well. So I was happy to see him perform. Yeah. But you know, you, you can't beat two. Um, upset when a race is that close and you're still second exactly and i mean it's it's funny that was in the downhill but we've chatted before and i know you told me you're not necessarily that's not your favorite discipline and sometimes you feel like you've almost been like typecast into being a downhill (laughs) guy because you're big frame and silky ankles well it's funny like (laughs) i always i kind of joke that like that world juniors was my only good downhill race ever um which is not not true i mean i've been yeah sure been around but you know like I think speed at at the junior level is also a whole different ball of wax than yeah. at the World Cup level. So we were on a pretty Mickey Mouse course there, and it was yeah. the two runs. <laughs> it was two runs. It was basically like levels. a tech. Mm-hmm. It was basically like a tech race, you know. Um, yeah, that was hard to deal with. Definitely, like changing the yeah. approach down. Usually a one run, everything you got type of deal, and now having two runs, flip thirty, was kind of it was tough to deal with. I I thought it was tough to deal yeah. with for sure. Yeah, I think I like I like all events. Um, downhill sometimes it's it's a lot with the week and the training runs and i kind of like having to inspect and make a plan and then attack right away and take risk where sometimes with downhill it almost seems like a certain amount of the risk taking is is over because you you know what to expect come race day for Mm -hmm. the most part i mean obviously things come at you but i don't know i think everything is great and but i definitely wouldn't call myself a downhiller after uh yeah coming second at world juniors i think you can still call yourself a tech skier too got outstanding oh, yeah. norm results in tech pretty much in every yeah. discipline i'm just trying to be a skier i guess yeah. <laughs> just wants to do it all that's that's what we like to see those are the guys who are exciting to watch um i want to ask a little bit about your guys's like mental approach technical thoughts because i know me and sam have had some some pretty interesting talks and I feel like you've told me at times, like sometimes you'll just go out and your whole goal for the day is just to carve every turn. And that's kind of funny to me 
because some people make it so complicated, like mm-hmm. myself included. You're thinking about I'm like you way too on that. way too many thoughts, mm-hmm. like way too many parts of the turn, and it's kind of like interesting to just hear someone say, "Oh, I'm gonna take it right back to the fundamentals and just try and be as clean as possible." Yeah, that's funny. I was actually just gonna when you brought that up, I was like, I was gonna bring it back to that point of just trying to carve, and I think everyone, you know, gets sometimes locked up when you're trying to think of where your body needs to be and what line exactly needs to be on. But I think at the end of the day, if you're car, you know, everyone says carving's faster than sliding, you know, and <laughs> they do say that if you're aiming to be clean with the edges, then I always think it's cool how it seems like your body sometimes ends up being in the right position. Or if, if you're trying to attack the right way and be clean, then, you know, everything is smooth and it almost seems like it slows down sometimes. So it's definitely, it's a more liberal way of thinking about technique and I'm more of a loose person, I guess, in general. So well, I'm, spending years with you really notice how positive you are too. And I think that really translates in the approach you have and how you allow yourself to be mentally where I was a little bit more like Pat and being just so over, in my head over and analytical, so kinda. easy to overthink and scary. Yeah. And there's so many little things and a little spot and, like we had long chats about that too and just about keeping it simple and stuff and definitely just seeing what you have to see on the inspection not overthink the courses and then just really much just trying to ski as fast as you're as you can possibly ski and not trying to overdo it either yeah because you're you're like something you said to me too like that still stood out it's your best is good enough (laughs) yeah i think you brought that out a couple years no i know but (laughs) Which is I something that, that sometimes you're like, you see the field at an ORAM or a World Cup, you're like, oh, I need to do better than my best, but that's not true. You just need yeah. to do your best and then see the outcomes. I guess I try to convince myself that it's easier than people make it out to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think sometimes it's not true, but not you know, hey, whatever works, you got to convince yourself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And it's not rocket science for sure. No. And yeah, Simo, I know like a couple times this year when you were telling me after like you were you're pretty hot and having a lot of good races. You're just like, I'm so confident right now. Like all it's, yeah. it's just confidence. Like not a lot of thinking. I just have it, got some from training and just kind of, once you have that, you can go with it. And it's sometimes it's, it's easier to say than to do like to I mean, find been confidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think to, but, to younger skiers to say like the amount of times we've were on well, the provincial team at uh, Noram races and we're missing the 60 and you're just thinking, how is this, how am I ever going to be even able to win a Noram race? And then you go from being 38th or something at a Noram and then the next day you're on the podium or something. And it's just, it's hard to know how, I think a lot of times people think they're so far away from their goal. And I think you're often so much closer than you think, think, but then you don't know how close you are until you actually achieve that, that goal you've been looking at. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, like for you, I'm sure when you got that first point, you're like, well, that wasn't that hard. I'll just do it again tomorrow and then do it again the next day. And I think, (laughs) At the World Cup, that's going to be a, another yeah, big step, sure. and we haven't we haven't figured that out for ourselves yet. But I think once it starts to click, it'll happen. I think a guy like Trevor Phillip, I'd be interested to see him next year. I think he'll come out firing because I think at the end of the season he's locking in. He's like, oh well, I can come third or whatever on a second run, and I can come top ten, and it's not that hard from anything. I've been, it's not that different from anything I've been doing. Yeah. And then it's just once you know then you know and then you just it's like autopilot yeah once the train's rolling it's rolling i'd say and also for me i've been so many times 30th or 31st and 32nd and 33rd in norams and mm-hmm. just banging myself against the wall and like you like you said sam you're so much closer than you actually think and 
at one point you do it <laughs> and you realize that it's it was closer than you like actually thought but it's a nice feeling yeah yeah absolutely well said uh sam i want to get into your upbringing a little bit in vancouver and you're a little late to skiing correct i mean kind of i guess i started racing in k1 k1 like, which i i mean most which people I guess who you late, ask I mean, I, are like oh i was put in the ski program when i was five right and then ever since so yeah. i don't know that's cool what else were you doing like during well, that time I, athletics wise i played soccer was my my biggest sport um which i was pretty competitive in at a young age and it's very intense soccer like at a young age they really push it so i was playing probably six times a week mm-hmm. i bet and then uh, i was also playing baseball i l- still love baseball um but yeah those two sports i guess were my main sports and then i tried to do a lot you know as much as i could within school sports and mm-hmm. trying like, i played football for a little bit and rugby and you know cross country just trying to i guess my parents were good at just leaving everything open and you yeah. know just try things and whatever your friends are doing whatever you're having fun doing and how did that eventually turn into skiing like how was because k1 is about 12 or yeah i think 11, it was 11, 11 probably yeah. like that. 10 11 12 or something like that but um it was interesting actually i was playing soccer super full on and actually you know i was getting burnt out basically yeah. um in grade six grade seven i was already getting tired of it because we were playing so much and it was just getting uh, mundane to me um and actually there was one season where we were training up at SFU, uh, which is at Burnaby Mountain. So they actually get some snow sometimes. And mm-hmm. we had a great winter in the city and actually got a lot of snow in the city and the fields were all closed. So we actually had a good stretch where we were not playing soccer. And then I was just skiing with my friends, skiing with my dad and my family. And then I was falling in love with it. And then I actually had some friends through my other sports, baseball, soccer, and they were in the ski racing program. So then I kind of got invited in, ski up a grouse and fell in love with the racing like I always liked going fast when I was skiing and just had so much fun when I tried it and I basically quit soccer cold turkey um my coaches were like what are you doing like we've tried we've been working so hard at the soccer You're thing like phenom. You, you, <laughs> You're the best we've ever seen <laughs> yeah for Canadian <laughs> soccer <laughs> but yeah like soccer was probably maybe promising in their eyes but it, I was just sold on skiing without even knowing what I was getting into that's really, um, yeah, that's cool. So it was cool that like I just I, I blindly went into it, and I remember <laughs> my first few races, I like crashed super hard and was like I was terrible technically when I when I started, um, and I was just kind of like why like I quit like I was pretty good at <laughs> soccer like good. I thought this <laughs> was gonna I thought this, this was gonna be kind of easy, <laughs> um, which I learned quickly it was not, but I, I don't regret it at all. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you guys thoughts on like pro tour dual formats and just kind of how those things can help grow our sport and your kind of opinions on it. Cause I, it's a bit of a mixed, um, mixed review from people I've talked to. Like personally, I'm not a huge fan of cross blocking in the dual format. I think yeah. it kind of takes away from the look of it, but I, there's been people who I've talked to are totally the other way. So just open it up to you guys and what you think of that. I think the format has its place on the world cup and for the view- viewership and stuff and being a little bit more interesting for people to watch but i think that's definitely something they're gonna have to work on making it a rule or not because we had our first ever um duel in uh, norams this year and the big thing was are we cross blocking or not and i've trained a little bit of it in the last summer Mm -hmm. but most of the people didn't so 
and the the guy actually the guy winning ended up not cross blocking a single panel throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing and keeping it dialed on old style and he won so clearly shows that this is still this is still a fast way to do it depending on the course i think yeah because there's definitely some different course sets and different terrain that allows you to cross block or sometimes it's better than not cross blocking but I mean, I know Ted Ligeti was talking about taking the cross block away and he was like emphasizing on that a lot. But some of the tall guys who are winning the dual events are, are, are so fast because they're so tall and they can just put their hands over the flags and mm-hmm. just be close to the gate, I guess. Because the closer you are to guess, the closer you are to the gate, the faster you are technically. And so I don't know what these guys would think it, but it definitely is. There should, I think there should be a rule at one point or maybe a general idea on what's allowed to do and what's not allowed. Yeah. I think like, uh, from my understanding of like what the pro tour was back in the day is that it was kind of like the wild west of ski racing. It was like the free spirits and crazy dudes were the ones doing the, the duels. Yeah. And I think right now it's the sport's so technical, especially on the slalom side. And these, these duels are really tight and people are cross blocking and it's basically just slalom with panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'd be cool if we could stretch it out a bit, like bring it back to, you know, when like Bodians, no, not still slalom skis, but you know, a bit more turn shape and a bit more radius. So cross blocking doesn't come into play maybe. Yeah. Um, cause then, um, it, then it would open there. it. Like, I think if you could open it up and have guys like kill day being like a viable option at a dual race and then you're involving, you know, it's not just Ramon and like the tall guys crushing these things and you got GS gears, maybe like even some speed skiers are dabbling. And I think it's a cool it's a cool format like for fans especially in north oh, america who don't understand no technique it. or anything they just want to see head to head who's going faster mm-hmm. and it's like the best environment for that and i think you can create like a good party scene and you can do it at yeah, night dude, and i think city, in cities in like, cities we could get one going here at cop or yeah any I think, city that has like a, a local hill would be unreal i think there's so a lot of opportunity to market to that and that uh sort of event and i think anything that's going to get people to watch other ski race is a positive thing and i think if the the format of the event would be more inclusive to all disciplines and not just slalom skiers yeah then i think you'd get a better product out of it but i think the pro tour like is kind of having a second breath now in the last couple of years and dan lever getting involved and stuff and but i'm pretty <laughs> sure they're setting 13 to 15 meters so it is a little bit more open than what we see on the world cup yeah and um, they get some big jumps in there and stuff i think yeah for sure but it's definitely a sweet venue and the mm-hmm. way to get a little like the free spirit a little bit kind of mm-hmm. like let it loose a little bit and make it more approachable for fans and stuff and also i think the pro tour was on tv in the states last year yeah which is a great way to get exposure for ski racing in general so definitely agree with what sam was saying there for sure i think yeah all of it's great and i think any other way we can yeah grow the sport really and make it more watchable is awesome uh, my opinion is just that the cross blocking like you don't see the turn shape all no. you see is the flag moving so it, i feel like then you don't appreciate the turn going on as much. And I just think it's visually not, not appealing to me. It's hard on the body too. If you miss that cross block, that <laughs> gate comes pretty back, pretty quick back at you. But yeah, I, I used to race without cross blocks and it was super fun. Yeah. It takes a toll on your lower back. You just put but bamboo gates in there and see what happens. Should, should. <laughs> yeah. But then your shoulders, a little, a little time penalty for each one you break or something. Yeah. <laughs> um so any good stories favorite trips or races you guys have been together in, in your time as teammates we've had beautiful trips together i'd say 
I mean, for me, I think the summers were pretty fun. For me, the summers were pretty fun to be able to live with Sam and just being like riding all the time, training together. And like I said, centralization is such a big thing for our sport. And I think our federation and the fact that we all work together and we get, we get to benefit from the full health system here at Calgary and Mm -hmm. having the Alpine Canada office there. And we were pretty lucky to have some friends that were, were able to rent rooms and live at different houses, including yours sometimes, but, (laughs) but, um, yeah. Yeah, I think the summer is always fun because um, the stress of competition is totally not there. Um, and I think you also realize what a great community you have in the summertime. Like, you know, in the winter, it's heads down and you're you're just focused on yourself yeah. for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the summer, it's how are we going to do this as a team and how are we going to build our culture? And it's cool. Like, I always feel so lucky when I come out to Calgary and you have families that are, you know, welcome you in welcoming you in with open arms and you know it's insane going over for dinner at a friend's house and you just have a whole a whole family in kind of any any city you go almost within the ski racing community it's a beautiful uh, community yeah they're everyone's so welcoming yeah i always feel grateful i guess in the summertime and uh we have a bit more time to do the things we'd like to do and enjoy with each other so i think yeah. yeah but for stories too i feel like your world juniors like medal was big for us as a team too. Um, when Jack Crawford and uh, Jeffrey Reed did that team event medal in Ori for the world yeah. juniors, that was big. Like every, it's an individual sport, but every time because we all pretty much were with together in the last three years, yeah. and just when when someone was winning, it was such a f- fun environment <clears throat> to be with because everyone's kind of gaining from that. Yeah, and then like sometimes also going out after races after some stretch of camps yeah. gives us some good stories in europe and <laughs> could maybe be for another podcast <laughs> absolutely mountain dews yeah <laughs> couple pops yeah uh my final question uh we have to bring it up is the straddle this year in the yeah. norms oh no yeah, um i mean <laughs> what i would say is that you were there's some big over oh, i mean we're not even gonna get to the the weather what happened but just the reaction online from some slalom tokyo drift and people saying seemed so overboard especially to me at least and the reaction from the people who were actually there it wasn't that bad like like people weren't that upset that we're actually racing it like and then you see this happen on the world cup too where people people straddle and keep going and it's on tv and it's like I mean, personally, I thought it was an overreaction, but can you I, give some anything... people some background on this actual event? That well, I can there? I can talk about it. At, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at the Noram series in Cal Fortune after Christmas, uh, I think the first or second slalom, um, I was winning after second run by a second or something, and I was super fired up because I knew I needed a second result and stuff, and it was bumpy, icy, and then I straddled in front of all of the coaches, and I didn't know honestly. It's like I said, it's bumpy, it's icy, you're in the zone, you're racing for it. And like after the fact now and everything that came down to it, it was like, yeah, I straddle, I did straddle and it was a pretty tough situation. I think I think publicly it was it got overwhelm overwhelming a little bit, like people that weren't there like you said, people that weren't there that got into it and had no clue who I was as a perf- like as a person and were just like taking shots at me for basically like an event that they didn't even know what actually happened either they just saw a picture that someone screenshot and posted online 
which definitely was a bad picture and a tough look. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I like I did not know a hundred percent. And yeah, like you said, some some racers, Ursher, I'm pretty sure Ursher straddled and won. And I know talking, it's... so many people have done that in the past, and it's it's a gamble in slalom a little bit. Like in fists in a, in World Cup, you have a fine now if you straddle and you make it to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure now in Norams we have a Fournier fine, which is <laughs> pretty much based Official out of name. Me. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it has, it has a place because. No one watched a video after the race, and then two hours later, everyone, when everyone downloaded videos on the laptops, they everyone was pressing the panic buttons. The Americans were were super overwhelmed by it, and their coaches was on video control. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's funny. Like, I don't know what the viewership is like on the show, but I know we're for sure someone's going to be angry that we're laughing about this a bit. Well, we're but, not I mean, laughing. Not, I'm, I, it was. A I, really I mean, I don't, I don't mind like uh, joking about this a little bit. Um, but I just want to say like. I wasn't there at the race, um, but you know, there's video control at these races where the, the coaches are supposed to review. Um, they they film the top thirty, and you know, you got this guy Simo who's just been tearing up the circuit all season. Every I don't know if there was a single camera that wasn't filming his second there's round. Twenty five coaches he was filming. he was leading, and then yeah. you don't have to ha- not have a single person review it within the protest window. I think is hilarious. On like for me, I think it's funny because. <laughs> If I was, if I was second in that race, I would want my coach, in any race, even if there was no no debate over a straddle. I think if I was second, I would hope that my coach went and looked at the video just yeah. to, just you know as a courtesy to make sure that the person first didn't straddle or do anything yeah. illegal. And I think also it's good to note that I think was it Luke that was second there. Luke um, was Luke was second, and I think Garrett was third. And I personally yeah. went to apologize to them because I, mean, I the- felt extremely extremely bad after the fact and how big it got. And like we're we're saying we're joking about it. We're not really joking about it. Like that's that's definitely kind of a darker situation, like darker part of my season a little bit. But I I totally under like I I agree with you. But giving like putting the blame a hundred percent on the athlete that's in a position of hundred percent stress, uh, like super wired. Like most people out there are just like, oh well, it's the athlete's responsibility a hundred percent. And I I agree with that. But also having twenty five coaches around. And no one raised the flag and no one even like at the the decency or like just the thought of looking at the footage. That's something that's, yeah, that's I mean, crazy to me a little that's bit. That's kind of rookie to me. But also I think it's it's cool to know that like, uh, you know, Luke and Gary, yeah, they were are, super they're, they're nice good guys. Me, yeah. And, you know, Luke would say, I mean, I, he, he didn't he didn't care that much. And I mean, you yeah. you crushed them. Didn't you? I mean, you, you won by quite a bit that nobody was yeah. saying like it's not like that straddling cut your line so much that that's why you won by a second and a half or whatever no. it was like everyone was respecting where your level was at and i think that's why within the race you know maybe there's some coaches that were angry and i think that's probably because deep down they understood that they kind of blew it their mistake, for their yeah. athlete whereas yeah. the athletes were okay with it because they knew where your level was at and they knew they where you deserved more. to be and yeah and i think just happens. finally on that for anyone who skied slalom like you've had a time where you don't know and for people who say i don't know anyone who's like 100 percent sure all the time like i've had ones where it's like oh it bounced off my tip funny i'm like oh that was a that was a straddle for sure but i'm like or like 90 percent kept going watched the video and it was like nothing yeah. it was a weird hit on the tip and then like so it's like what are you gonna feel worse for like pulling out and not straddling right. or you're winning race and then maybe you get dq'd yeah and i mean i've I done mean, it i've done it at least 
twice, I would say. I'm not going to disclose where and when, but it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but it was like it wasn't like a a big situation, like a Noram win or anything. But it was at a fist fist races and things, and I think pretty much anyone who's been in the sport long enough has done it at some point and gone away with it. And um, you know, Simon used to always joke with me like, "Oh, you're a cheater. How do you sleep at night?" You know, and I was like, "It happens. Like sometimes you don't know." And then. And then for, yeah, for him to go and, you know, inconclusively straddle one yeah. at Noram, it was, it was funny for me. And I know yeah. this is going to upset people maybe, but, you know, like until you've done it, don't, don't throw shade because it's a, but also, a heat like, of the moment thing. I don't want to name drop, but an American coach came and talked to me and was telling me, literally told me when you straddle in slalom, you know, you straddle. And that coach, I like, has he ever skied slalom? I don't think he skis long below 200 points, but <laughs> that's not that's not my point. I just thought like it's kind of like un- unconsiderate to say that when you know the amounts of effort and the way you're mentally so fired up to race a slalom race. Yeah. Like 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 saying going back to one of the first uh, questions you asked us, Pat. I was saying I was blacking out in uh, <laughs> in Madonna. Yeah. Which happened. Yo, for sure. You could have straddled every game. Yeah. That's probably why you won the split. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they would have video controlled me and then they would have disqualified me and I would get a fine. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, it, it got out of hand a little bit with the people that weren't there and mm-hmm. just started roasting me and not knowing me and not knowing who I was. But definitely in the community that was there, everyone was understand understanding of the situation and was also i i went to apologize to some of the people and they were they were all super which you didn't have to do as well no. which is good on your part. yeah but i felt i felt extremely bad like yeah. fist called me the u.s team <laughs> called me the canadian team called me everyone was trying to like get the what happened because yeah. they realized they there was a mistake like mm-hmm. some someone mm-hmm. didn't do their job yeah anyways we know we don't need to beat the dead <laughs> horse anymore but i think that's all we have uh thanks so much guys for joining me that was awesome, and good luck this next season and with the rest of your summers. Thanks a lot, Patty. Hopefully, I'll see you on the NCAA circuit a little bit this year. I, I think you will. Yeah, always a pleasure. <laughs> I'll see you at work Tuesday morning in the office. <laughs> All right. Thanks, boys. All right, see ya. All righty, a big thank you to Patrick, Sam, and Simon for that fantastic interview. I certainly enjoyed listening. I hope you did too. Thank you so, so much, and we will talk to you guys next time. Hey.